0: Internet, I'm John Bailey and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie I'll be discussing the latest adaptation of the H.G. Wells classic The Invisible Man by Blumhouse and Universal Films, the Hammer and Neon produced uh, thriller The Lodge and the My Hero Academia movie, which apparently was in theaters this weekend for a bit uh, Plus I'm going to discuss the uh, Pokemon Mewtwo Strikes Back remake they, that was just released to Netflix, so let's get started Where are you? Show yourself! Surprise. Let me help you. You can't help me. Surprise. This was going to be an interesting uh, movie to tackle because from the first trailer, I saw what they were going for. The idea that instead of focusing on the actual invisible man himself, we're dealing with an abuse victim, and the abuser is the titular invisible man. And so I was very uh, cautious about how they about this movie coming out because. So many times when they've tried to portray abuse victims and especially like horror movies, it can go down really trashy routes. Thankfully, that does not happen here. This is a very not I'm not going to say act as accurate, but it is it captures how PTSD and abuse works. It understands it. It plays it up. It doesn't play it up to like extreme degrees. This is a very very realistic portrayal of abuse. So I mean, if you have a history, you know, if you if you were a victim of abuse yourself, and that that kind of thing triggers you, avoid this movie because th- this definitely captures that sort of the anxiety and the and the depression and all of the things that happen from being a victim of abuse. And yeah, we start we and we open up with that. um sequence of uh elizabeth moss escaping uh in the film it's revealed to be an entire freaking compound like um like the dude from ex machina it's that kind of massive compound that this apparently tech billionaire is living in and she has to escape it like it's a prison and then he punches through the car window so i mean this dude is clear we don't know a lot about the invisible man uh, other than through certain aspects. I mean, we know he's an abuser. We know he's a tech billionaire. And uh, he was working on something that led to the Invisible Man. And he that he's apparently super strong. I don't know how strong it is. Uh, they don't mention him like taking steroids or working out or anything like that. It's just he appears to have some level of above average strength. I mean, he's able to punch through a window. Uh, you know, a reinforced car window. So... Uh, we're dealing with somebody who's pro- who's who's at least above average levels of strength, but um, most of this movie is Elizabeth Moss, and she carries this movie like a champ. Like she's able to portray all of the frailty and weakness of a victim fresh from suffering from fresh abuse, and still dealing with PTSD, especially as she begins to lose her mi- feel, seemingly lose her mind because she thinks her. Um, you know, con- quote unquote confirmed uh, X is uh, you know confirmed dead. X uh, is is back to haunt her. You know, it's like claiming that some there's a you're claiming you're being followed by a ghost, and it takes a while for you know it's it's it starts out nice because it starts out with little things like he turns up the heat on the uh stove to burn things or he you know it's he moves things around when she's not looking you know it makes her f- makes you know kind of little things and then eventually he just starts interacting with her but only enough to make make her know that he's there but not draw but not getting anybody else's attention until he just loses his damn mind by the end but i'll get into that um I will say that uh, I watched Corey and Martin's review and they were like, you have this amazing superpower. Why are you going to why are you going to worry about this one chick? And it's like they I feel like they completely missed the point. The point is that this guy is an abuser and yeah, he could have any chick. But no, he wants to mess with Elizabeth Moss because Elizabeth Moss defied him. I mean, we're dealing—we're not dealing with somebody who's out for world domination. We're dealing with somebody who is a a very narcissistic and obsessive person. Like this is fairly established. Like this isn't out of the blue. And there are people like this. Like, like how do they not know that there are people like this out there? Like, yeah, the guy—you know—amazingly hot guys that can have any woman they want, but they obsess over one chick because of one reason or another. Yeah, these kind of guys exist how you know like why are they're thinking of this like a superhero movie uh, you're they're not thinking of this as like you know a story of abuse like like how did you miss the point uh but at any rate yeah this is a very very you know very you know well thought out version of the invisible man i've never read the book i have no idea what it's about uh, I mean, I don't know how well it pertains to the original source material. I don't know if the original, um, you know, Invisible Man was an abuse. I know Alan Moore portrayed him as a dude who would was they found him freaking hiding in a convent, you know, raping, raping the nuns. So they thought that they were giving, you know, virgin births all the time. But yeah, it freaking Alan Moore's a we Yeah, he's a lot more problematic than people think he is. But yeah, like I don't know how accurate that sort of abusive Invisible Man is to the book. I'd have to read that down the line. But this is a really, really well thought. Like we when Lee Winnell, his follow-ups to Saul were a really stupid puppet horror movie called Dead Silence. And a goofy action, not goofy, but like balls to the wall action sci-fi movie. The uh, upgrade, and uh, so I mean to go from Saw, the Dead Silence, to Upgrade to this is a very interesting track for him. It's, he's very big into like suspense, and this is very taut. Like it's a very well well tuned sort of suspense. Like it most, like it's able to like like the shot of. The thing's catching fire. There's no, like, there's nothing elaborate about it. It's just a single one shot look at Elizabeth Moth cooking. She turns away for a second. You see the flame kick in, meaning that the invisible man, that meaning that her ex turned up the heat. And next thing you know, it catches fire. And Elizabeth Moth has to come in and try to put out the fire. There's nothing too crazy or elaborate about it. It just lets the scene speak for itself. It's a very, very well thought out uh, movie. The only problem I find is the climax, which, with without giving too much away, uh, the climax makes it feel more like a superhero movie than a thriller horror movie, or like a, like one of those slasher movies where it's like, oh, we got to fight fight the slas- fight back against the slasher and the slasher." you know, it's like it's one of the uh, Friday the Thirteenth or uh, Nightmare Before Elm Street sequels. But other than that, other than the uh, clim- you know, the big climax, I think the De makes up for that. That ties it back into the themes of the movie, and I think it's a really solid uh, ending. But overall, um, I you know, I, and plus, without giving the, away the twist, like once they reveal how the Invisible Man is invisible, it's a really interesting idea. It's also based a lot on current tech too, like current and uh, uh, emerging tech. So it's really cool idea that I think is. Um, is it, it, that I'm kind of I'm kind of digging. So yeah, Lee Unnel did a really good job. I think this is probably his best film, um, but I haven't seen his other stuff. So yeah, it's it really it really is a, a solid effort from him. Really, really recommend this one. This is best horror movie of the year so far. Uh, the only thing I will say is um, uh, the only other thing I wanted to say was uh, that I kind of get the feeling that you since this is Universal, The Invisible Man was a Universal monster movie. Blumhouse could take the reins of the really disastrous dark universe and create a Blumhouse-produced universal monster movie universe and have it be like this, where it's modern-day set, and it's not super-elaborate superhero-style horror movie. It's just little individual stuff, but it's within the same universe. I think that could work, and if they if they so happen to make, like, Dracula or Frankenstein— or wolf, or the Wolfman or one of these other classic Creature from the Black Lagoon. I'd be very interested to see how they tackle that. Um, but yeah, if they decide to do the Universal Monsterverse through Blumhouse, I think they'll have a much better track record than they tried to do it by making him like the Avengers and the MCU, but we'll see. Did you do that? We didn't do anything. <sighs> We're leaving. What are you talking about? Look outside. We're stuck here. Really? So it took a while for me to finally get to see this because it was only playing in one theater near me and it was the former Dollar Theater. Uh, Basically, in the next town over uh, from Akron to Canton. In North Canton, there used to be a Cinemark that acted as a dollar theater for uh, movies that were just about to hit DVD, but had already gone through their theatrical run. It was one of those in-between theaters and you got to see things on the cheap. They closed that down and re and they basically gentrified it and made it into a super nice uh Cinemark Bistro. And so you can get like alcohol. There is a freaking frozen Jack and Coke machine there. You could get Jack and Coke slushies at this place. And yeah, it's super high end. And I feel and it feels kinda wrong that it, they took uh an affordable theater going experience and gentrified it. But, you know, it is what it is. I don't know much about uh Canton's um you know, income, you know, the average income down in Canton, or if they could sustain that. But it also doesn't help that they're basically playing the same theater, they're playing same movies that are playing within a mile's distance of the big Tinseltown cinema Like, if this was, this did things like art house movies, independent stuff, things like Neon A24 with limited uh, release stuff, that would be, that would make sense. It's a, it's a high end art house theater, but it's, all the same stuff that's up, up the street, like what, it's just, you're just going there to get drunk and get some wings. Like, I, I don't know. It's weird. Um, yeah, I don't know why they don't, I, but that's, but that's with the management. That's the management's, uh, whole thing. They can worry about what movies they play there. At any rate, I finally got the chance to watch this, um, the watch the latest from, I think I mentioned this in a couple episodes cause I thought it was getting a wider release than it did. But it's uh, the latest from Neon Pictures, uh, independent distributor and main competition for A24. And it's a production of Hammer, who has come back uh, in recent years with doing low-budget horror again. And uh, the premise is uh, Riley Coe, who is best known as one of the brides from Mad Max Fury Road, and who was the popular kind of pretty girl uh, from, from Split. Uh, I think that's her. Am I thinking of somebody else? I may be thinking of somebody else. Hold on. Let me pull her up. Riley Coe. No, I'm thinking of somebody. I think I may be thinking of somebody else. Let me go to IMDb. Because it would say right there. uh, No, she was in Logan Lucky. Uh, She wasn't in... uh, Who am I thinking of? Uh, But yeah, Riley Coe uh, is from Logan Lucky. American Honey. The movie with uh, Shia LaBeouf, she was in, and uh, it comes at night. Uh, Was that even one of the brides? No, I don't think that was one of the brides in Split. Um, That was the chick from The Bronze, uh, Haley Lou Richardson. Yeah, she wasn't one of the brides. She was in Edge of Seventeen and Five Feet Apart and um, The Bronze, I was introduced to her in The Bride. I don't know why I thought she was one of The Brides. Weird. no, um, yeah, Haley Lou Richardson is one, I, is one of my favorite up-and-comers, and uh, I'm very curious to see what she does next. Um, suffice to say that uh, here, ha- Riley Coe, who is also a fairly solid up-and-comer and um, you know, seems to be doing a lot more independent stuff nowadays, um, she plays the... Uh, new girlfriend to Richard Armitage, and there's a very short bit of Alicia Silverstone as Richard Armitage's uh, ex-wife that is really messed up, and opens the movie with that. And basically, it's Riley Coe takes his kids up to <laughs> their lodge that they have up in the up in the mountains to spend Christmas with while he's busy at work, and it, and before they leave the kids find out she used to be in a crazy religious cult and um the movie it tries to play on um psychological you know psychological things like uh it, it's messing with uh the people's heads and it's a it's an interesting idea, the idea that, oh, what you know, like they play they play up the fact that, oh, maybe they died. Like what's going on in this in in this lodge? We don't know. Uh the the son is played by young Bill Denbra from It, who was also the, the Nazi Nazi punk from Knives Out. Um and the daughter is played by Leah McHugh, who is gonna be in Eternals, interestingly enough, and was also in the Hulu uh, original something or another into the dark. Not apparently, it was a series. Uh, she's also on the series American Woman. Don't know about that. She's a she's fairly young up and comer. Um, but yeah, I think I think what ultimate ultimately the problem with this movie is is that what they were trying to go for is lost by being a fairly muddled narrative. Like the ultimate reveal of what happened completely ruins the movie, I think. And I won't give away a spoiler too much for right now. Suffice to say that the ultimate reveal just makes the... Shows who the true villain of the piece is. And I think the problem is that the kids are already unlikable little shits. Like, they're... Like, for one thing... I get it. Steps, you know, stepchildren don't always take to the new stepmom. You know, there's, there's been constant films about stepmoms and whatnot, but these kids are on like the girl, the way the girl like sets up her dolls and the way the son acts, it's like, they're on the verge of full on psychopathy. And then by the end of the movie, you're like, you, you, you just hate, hate them. Uh, but and then Riley so like Riley Co who is because like once they find out that she was a victim of a cult, they don't think, oh, that poor woman they think, oh, we could use this to our advantage Like that's the whole thing is like they mess with her by praying at the table like they don't they don't establish themselves as a religious family to, to begin with. so, they automatically start messing with her in the movie before they go to the Lodge by praying. They pray to mess with this poor woman who is a victim of a religious cult. That's the kind of, like, assholery we're dealing with. So, like, no, I don't feel sorry for these kids who lost their mom. Uh, I won't reveal what happened, but basically, yeah, the mom's gone. Alicia Silverstone is a glorified cameo. And all these kids do is torment poor Riley Coe for just existing, just by mere existence, they torment her. And the movie never acknowledges that these these kids are the problem. These kids are the monsters. No, they, 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 it's never treated as, like, evil kids. Because th- this this is, goes beyond, like, childish pranks. These are downright psychopathic little shits. And the movie never acknowledges that. The movie acts like, oh, these poor kids. How are they, you know, how, maybe we can get these, uh... Maybe they'll fin- finally get along with their their new uh, possible stepmom, their future stepmom. But no, this this movie is just like this movie deals like, oh yeah, aren't these you know all those darn kids? They would miss their mom so much they're going to torment a woman until she goes crazy, like. Yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff you're expecting in this that that turns up in this movie. And I, the ending absolutely ruined the movie for me. It's another one like the turning where it's just like, oh, you could have you know not done that, but instead you decided, oh yeah, let's do this and completely ruin the movie. Let let just make and yeah, I don't feel bad for these kids at all. By the end, they're they're little monsters and screw them. Like I don't care if your parents' marriage fell apart and you take it and you hold it against the 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 you know the new the the new girlfriend you're not you know you there's a, there's a line you don't cross with when it comes to these sorts of things and yeah i do not feel sorry for these little kids they're monsters and they get everything that's coming to them it's just really stupid how it goes down so yeah um i think that's about all i can say without really going into spoiler territory suffice to say that yeah don't don't watch this you can do better this is just a very it's a boring movie for starters and then the ending is stupid. So like the, there's there was I was sitting I was sitting next to this older couple um and the and the and the and the husband or uh uh boyfriend or whatever, I don't know what they were. I'm assuming husband. Um they, they kept falling asleep and had to be woken up. That's the level of boring we're dealing with in this movie. So, yeah. D- that that tells you all you need to know. If you want a good uh, nightcap, chur- turn on the Lodge. 100%! If I can't protect those two, then I can't call myself a hero! This is a race against time. We're the only heroes on this island. We're the only ones who can save the people here. We're gonna kick the crap out of these losers. We won't stop now. I'll blast this villain with everything I've got! Detroit! This is another one like uh, Broly. I think it was Broly last year or the year before, where uh, Funimation is ter- is uh, releasing these movies uh, in theaters for the like a weekend experience, and it's cool. It's getting me to intro- it's introducing me to these uh, shows that um, otherwise I otherwise probably wouldn't have seen just because I don't take the time to watch anime that I should. And uh, yeah, this is. Um I don't know how long ago this movie was. I don't know where it falls into the timeline. I know there's like a fourth season coming up or has come up or something like that. But I I know the basic premise. Uh, Deku is this little kid who was born without superpowers or quirks. And the former greatest hero of all time, All Might, passes on his quirk one for all to Deku. And once he gets his power, he starts training at, uh, you know, at the Ninja Academy slash, slash, uh, school for gifted mutants or what, you know, the superhero school basically. Uh, um, and then there's like a weird, then like the second season, the first season is all character building. Second season is like a tournament arc for some reason. And, um, his main rival is this kid is Bakugo, uh, who sounds really close to the game where you spin tops at each other. Oh God. Um, but no, he's he his, he's got a rival in that, and this kid is much more um, competitive and uh, passionate about being the best and being the strongest. Whereas Deku just wants to be good and kind to everybody. But um, the premise, and then the premise of the movie, wherever it falls in line with the with the timeline of the series, is the class from one A, uh, Deku's class, is tasked with being the superheroes for this small island. Off the coast of Japan, in order to um, basically get their train, turn take off their training wheels, and be heroes in the real world. And you get the class from 1A, and you know all the fan favorites, um, kind of helping out around the community, doing nice things. But while that's going on, some hero come, some villain is uh, is taken away, and escape. You know, it like helped escape, um, in order to enact his plan for world domination and complete upheaval. Of the superhero society, because apparently it's broken, and I don't like the main problem I have with this movie is the villain's plan doesn't really make sense. It's like, and then they try to play it off like he's also a sympathetic by uh, by making this one character, this one villain feel welcomed by recruiting him to his cause, but the cause doesn't really make sense because that because you know, oh, we need to rule by might makes right, but how does, how is that better? Like, the only reason it's better is because you get to be a dick. And I think that's kind of the point is that his plan isn't supposed to make sense, but they try to play it off like it does and it doesn't really work. So yeah, the villain's plan is not very well thought out. And especially when they try to play it up like, oh, he's sympathetic by helping recruit, you know, these outcasts from society, but it eh, doesn't really work. Um, I will say he's a super, like, like, powerful villain that, that pushes these kids to their limit. And there is a point in this movie that reminds me of the, uh, Gogeta moment in Broly, the moment where Goku and Vegeta perfect the fusion dance and become one in order to, to face off with Broly. And, it, there's a moment like that in this movie without giving too much away and maybe I don't know how old this is, but maybe if you're uh, a if you're a Boku no hero academia fan, you may already know this. <laughs> Sorry. Um, suffice to say that uh, yeah, this is the ending is really powerful. Like that's the other thing too, is that the animation here is phenomenal. Like this is absolutely beautiful animation. And I don't know if the series is like that at all, but the movie does not hold back. It is absolutely powerful animation. And um, the superhero fights are, fan- are fantastic. Uh, number one, there's re- there are noticeable repercussions. So, like, there, you see people hurt, things destroyed. There's a death, you know, there's a notif- notable, noticeable death toll. So, it's like, there are stakes here. Which is more than I can say for the Marvel movies, which is one of their biggest problems: is that there are very few stakes because because Disney doesn't want them to be a ba- to be baddies and hurt people. Like, oh my God, what are the stakes here? Because you're not letting us see the stakes. And here, oh, you see all the stakes, and you're like, oh my God, please, 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 don't die. So yeah, um, and plus, I th- I think um, this, despite not being. A fan of the series yet this does make me unlike uh, Dragon Ball Super where Broly was a fun um, like fun introduction but didn't make me want to watch the series. This makes me want to watch the series even more so. Like this makes me want to get invested in these characters because Deku is a, a fantastic character and Bakugo. Bakugo is a solid sort of counterpoint to him. And, um, all the other characters are fun and clever. Like the only one I don't really like is the, is the, is the dude with the, where he rips the balls from his scalp and it actively bleeds, uh, (laughs) when he does so. Um, I think that kid is just going to be too like, uh, dorky anime perv for me. I think he's going to be my least favorite. I like the frog girl. I think she's, she's a neat, uh, concept. Uh, I like the alien, the pink alien girl, the one who looks like, um, Android, what, thir- Android 19 or something? Uh, the pink, uh, I, I, yeah, the one that looks like Majin Buu, whatever Android it is, it looks like Majin Boo, Bu, but with, you know, but, but as a, but a girl, um, I think she, I think she's an interesting design and, uh, character. I dig all the, the fact that these kids have all kinds of quirks that aren't n- normal superpowers. I mean, we're talking about a frog girl a dude with multiple arms and like weird, weird, like, you know, looks like a weird, you know, Lovecraftian monster. We're talking about a dude who can, um, uh, shoot tape from his arms and we can, and you know, then, but then you've got the normal ones like, um, Bakugo can shoot, shoot, uh, can create explosions. And, uh, one dude controls, electricity generates electricity and can act as a lightning rod. um, Deku's super strong when he utilizes the all for one and um and yeah it's I mean you've got a mix of people like the the one kid uh the the Sasuke of the group the one who's got the, the Zuzuko who's got the the got got the fire scar from his abusive dad um who's got the fire and ice powers i think you yeah, know so you got a mix of viable powers with sillier powers but they all manage to work together, and by the climactic fight, they all manage to pull their own weight. So it's like it doesn't matter what how silly your power is, you're you're just a, you you you're just a you're just as a viable hero as anybody who can make explosions and shoot electricity. You know, you can have silly superpowers and be a hero, and I like that about this universe. It makes me you know it definitely makes me think of um, the the whole idea of like the quirks differentiating between heroes and villains and just regular everyday like there are people with quirks and superpowers that don't fight crime and stop villains they're doctors and you know people who just live do normal mundane tasks and that's a i like that about this universe it's a very you know i have i have my own idea for a similar storyline uh with that idea behind it the idea that you know you don't you don't necessarily need heroes just everybody has but everybody has superpowers and nobody even thinks well I can use these powers to fight crime or to be a big shot or something like that because it's just so mundane you know and um yeah it's it, it's a really it's a really cool universe idea and I dig everything I know about it so far I've learned peripherally because people love this series and I definitely need to check it out too because it's this movie shows it is exactly up my alley. So uh if I get you know if I get the chance, I'm definitely gonna start uh watching through uh this one down the line. Um the movie itself, very good, very highly recommend. Even as even if you're not a fan of the series, if you're a fan of good animation and superhero stuff, this is for you. This and you don't need to know anything about the series going in. It gives you a good recap of everything you need to know about these characters before the events of the movie, which is a nice touch, too. So it's a nice intro to the series, for those who don't know, and it's a very, very cool, very good superhero movie. So yeah, high recommends from me. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. All right. And then lastly, we've got the uh, Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution movie, which finally got dumped to Netflix. Didn't even bother doing a Fathom release. It's just like, screw it. There you go, Netflix. You You get the Mewtwo Strikes Back remake. And uh, I will say this. I will put it on par with the original in so much as the original has, I think, some better animation overall. The animation quality is better in the original. The dialogue and writing is a lot more unique in the original. And uh, the overall message and theme is felt through the original better. That being said, this remake does fix a good chunk of stuff, Uh, and the animation is solid for the most part. The Pokémon animation specifically is beautiful. Like, you can see the fur effects on Pikachu and um, Wigglytuff, Uh, You can see the scale effects on Charizard. Charizard is also featured a lot more in this movie, which is interesting. That they finally, that despite the fact that they they make Charizard a more prominent part of Ash's party in this, which he wasn't in the original movie for some reason. But uh, yeah, it's a really, really solid animation effort. And the only problem I have is the humans who look. Full on uncanny valley. Like the bit, the, there are bits, especially where we see, t- where just looking at Ash with all the human teeth is downright horrifying. Like fully rendered, almost very, almost exactly human teeth. I'm just like, uh, uh, I don't like it. Take it away. Ash is like my new paralysis demon in, in this movie. Uh, uh, that al- also, like. The new cast, um, isn't quite, like, when you're, when you've grown up on that Four Kids cast, having the, having the Pokemon Company cast read, read the lines, uh, doesn't quite work as well. It also doesn't help that some of the dialogue has changed for the worse. Like, that Four Kids dialogue in the original was kind of bad, but it was also fun bad. It's, like, punny and goofy, um... Uh, but this one manages to uh, this one manages to kind of sand that down, and it's kind of generic and boring. Uh, they do manage to fix the one of the biggest Pokemon fan uh, gripes, which is Jesse and James know can differentiate between Scyther and Alakazam, and Meowth knows the difference between Sand Slash and Sandshrew. Um, but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a mixed bag. Like the parts of it that work are improvements from the original, but the parts that don't show why it's only going to be a sad. Cl- it's like it's like Mewtwo, but if Mewtwo was not as good of a clone as of Mew, Mewtwo was a much more much more superior clone of Mew. This movie is a sort of Mew one and a half. You're clearly not quite as good as you're not quite better than Mew. But yeah, it's. A, I will say also Dan Green voicing Mewtwo. You, you screwed up on making him, not making him voice PokeGod God, uh, in Arceus and the Jewel of Life. Or that's the other thing, Arceus, 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 however you want to pronounce Pokemon God's name. What? Go for it. But um, the fact that you missed the opportunity to have Dan Green voice Pokemon God himself, itself, itself, genderless. Uh, is a complete debacle by the Pokemon company and by Nintendo and whoever is in charge of the animation stuff. So having him voice Mewtwo is a bit of a step. You know, hey, you made amends to some degree. At least he voicing Mewtwo, even if he isn't voicing Pokemon God. Yeah, seriously, if we can have a a dub uh, of Pokemon, the 12th movie where Dan Green voices Arceus Go for it! I love it. I'm into it. Dan Green, well, voicing Pokemon God is a complete missed opportunity. Not voicing Pokemon God is a complete missed opportunity. Um, at any rate, uh, yeah, this movie is just fine. Like, I I would much rather watch the original personally, just because they did it first and they did it better. But this isn't a terrible remake. It's not a, it's a remake that manages to fix some things that were wrong in the original, but in doing so kind of missed the point of what made the original work. It's kind of the problem with a lot of the Disney live-action remakes, where they're trying to fix things that are kind of unnecessary to fix other than being nitpicky. And in doing the remake, they just made a bad Xerox of that original movie. So... Yeah, I'm kind of hopeful that they don't remake any more movies, especially not in this style. I need They need to get better at, at... Like, that's the other problem. Since it's CG, the lip-syncing is even worse. My God, the lip-syncing of this is might as well not exist. Uh, so, yeah, until they can get humans better, I would much rather they avoid CG. And until they can... Uh, and, and, and if they are going to do more CG movies, I would much rather them do, like adaptations of the Pokemon Adventures manga or direct adaptations of the games like uh, Pokemon Origins was, you know th- or the generations even. So I would much rather them do new things than try to recreate the old movies in CG in fairly un you know finished CG. So I mean, if you're really interested and you're a big fan of Pokemon, you can check it out for yourself. But there really isn't a reason to see this movie other than if you can watch the original movie, just watch the original movie because this one isn't going to replace it anytime soon. So that's all for the reviews. Let's take a look at the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Uh, It's going to be an interesting box office this weekend. The biggest release is a Blumhouse horror movie, so... I'm doubtful it's, although I did take, uh, the XD theater from, uh, what was it? Like call of the Wild last week. So I'm very curious to see the numbers this weekend. So looking at the weekend domestic chart, uh, the one problem I have with, uh, this movie, this, this, the num, the numbers chart. Oh wait, no, there it is. Okay. They have the old ones. Uh, The photograph dropped out of the top 10 and is now number 16. Um, Parasite and Jumanji also dropped out of the top 10. Um, And uh, looking at number 10 this weekend is Fantasy Island, which brought in $2.3 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $24 million, and its worldwide gross up to $40 million on a budget of seven million dollars so yeah Blumhouse strikes again even with a terrible movie they can still all all, all it takes is like a 10 million dollar and they may bet their budget no problem so i kind of hope they don't do any more of these just because it's just really bad and i hate that bad movies that's the one problem i have with horror is that it doesn't matter how bad you are you're still successful and that gives people a reason to let you make more movies Speaking of which, dropping from five to nine is Brahms, The Boy 2, which brought in $2.6 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $9.7 million, and its worldwide gross up to $16 million. And let me guess, budget of $10 million. So yay, it's already made back its budget, and it's on en route to m- being another success. Great. Great. More of The Boy movies. Thanks, horror fans. <sighs> This is why I hate horror as a genre. I could do... You know what? I really needed to start working on that Corn Talks thing because I could go on about my issues with the horror genre. Dropping from 7 to 8 is 1917. 2.6 million this weekend. 155.8 overall. Uh, domestically, worldwide, 362. So, yeah, that's still doing numbers. Uh, premier, jumping from 11 to 7, interestingly enough, is Impractical Jokers. That jumped up from out of the top 10 back into number seven with $3.5 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $6 million. No real international market and um, no budget listed. So I have no idea how well this is doing. Let me check Wikipedia. Let me see if Wikipedia has the budget for this. uh three million dollars what do you know it's already been a success just by bar- for some reason it got it got an increased um theater presence and made double its budget it made back its budget immediately opening weekend and doubled it by this by the third weekend so i don't know how it happened but these guys just basically broke even on their movie and i don't really care uh dropping from three to six is birds of prey bringing bringing in 4.1 million this weekend domestic growth so far 78.7 worldwide 188 million dollars so yeah for people claiming oh this is a failure um it cost 82 million to make and has already doubled that it's basically broken even yeah it doesn't need to make it make millions of dollars that's the problem with the mcu mindset of, of everything has to break a billion dollars no no, it's only a failure if your idea of failing is breaking even. And that's the problem with capitalism, not the movie. Uh next up is, dropping from four to five is Bad Boys for Life, brought in 4.3 million this weekend. Domestic so far is 197.3. Worldwide, $405 million on a $90 million budget. So yeah, once again, doing doing good numbers over there. Um premiering at number four. Maybe this was over. This this must have been over the course of the whole weekend then, because it's My Hero Academia: Heroes Rising, bringing in five million dollars this weekend. Uh, so far, a domestic box office gross of eight million dollars and a worldwide box office gross of twenty three million. So, huh, huh, huh with that. I mean, good for Funimation. It shows that they have a viability within the theatrical market. So cool, cool beans. Dropping from two to three is The Call of the Wild, bringing in $13.2 million. Uh, domestic box office is $45.8 Worldwide is $79 million. Bare- it still hasn't broken uh, the production budget. So yeah, this is going to be another big flop this year. So sad to say, but I think the, the era of the over $100 million movie needs to kind of die out. And we need to go back to mid-level production value because so, making a hundred million dollars isn't breaking even as much as people think it is the, the lower your budget the more the lower the threshold you need to succeed so whatever dropping from one to two this weekend is cernic the hedgehog bringing in 16 million dollars uh domestic box office so far is 128 million dollars and it's double that worldwide with 265 million dollars after what three weeks so yeah Cernic the Hedgehog is doing doing good. It sucks that they basically screwed over the uh team at moving pictures in Vancouver, but they've apparently done that before because Moving Pictures did the same thing to the company that did Life of Pi. Life of Pi or no, one of those two. So yeah, basically they did the same thing with Life of Pie. Um but yeah, that's another corn talks topic i could go into uh suffice to say that um give the fans what they want and you'll then they'll come see your movie shock of all shocks hopefully paramount learns that lesson betting odds on they won't Bet yeah they're good uh anyway premiering at number one bringing in 29 million dollars domestically is the invisible man and international box office opening weekend is 49.2 million dollars on a seven million dollar budget See what I'm saying? You know, poor call of the wild, which is a fairly decent movie in its own right. And fairly accurate to the book from what I'm hearing is, is struggling to just break even where the invisible man is, is doing gangbusters on a $7 million budget. Keep the, keep your production value. Keep, you know, you don't need to expand on too much thing, too much of a, of anything. <laughs> don't, don't try to pump up your budget with neat, with unnecessary stuff. Just, you know, if you got a good story to tell, tell that story. So yeah, Universal Universal is doing nice, doing nice numbers with the Invisible Man, and I would not be surprised if they tried to spin this off into a new Blumhouse produced uh, Universal Monsterverse. Like I'm saying, I, I would be if they, they 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 did just fine with Halloween. If they if they're in charge of both the slasher, the old eighty slashers, and the Universal monsters. As long as the movies are good, I'm not complaining. So, yeah, that's that was this weekend's box office. Looking ahead to the next weekend's releases, uh, we are looking at Onward, the latest from Pixar, uh, which I'm interested in, but I don't know how good it's going to be just from the trailers. It's gonna it's gonna be one way or another. Um, that's they changed it up, and Practical Jokers expanded further this weekend. Apparently, they pushed Emma to next weekend. We'll see. They said that last time because they said Emma was going wide this weekend. So we'll see if Emma actually breaks wide at some point. But um, but yeah, uh, Onward. We So yeah, Onward, The Way Back. And, oh yeah, that's the other one. The uh, Ben Affleck movie that looks like it's a serious take on the freaking Mighty Ducks style storytelling of the drunk coach saving the f- underdog basketball team. Once again, this this is probably not going to be a bad movie. It's just I've seen this played for laughs for too long to take it seriously. But it's also the same guy who did the rest, um, not the wrestler, uh, Warrior. So uh, I like that movie. We'll see if he does well enough on this one. It's going to be really hard to take it seriously, but we'll see. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's uh, what's coming up next And that about it for this week's episode Which means it is time for the plugs If you're listening to this podcast You're most likely listening to us on our homepage At gumbycatnetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out You can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker And favoriting us on your web browser You can also check out all the other fine programming um, Dungeons and Dragon types Has moved to a Bi-weekly schedule so that new episode Won't come out till the 11th uh, but we also got the latest episode of Living in the Stacks out this before the end of the month. That is about Dancing with Eternity. So if you want to hear about our, our discussion from uh, about a book from the uh, a voice of, uh well, who is in Team Fortress 2? I think it's the sniper. Uh, one of the one of the guys who works over at Valve as a voice actor wrote a book called Dancing with Eternity and takes place in like the 31st century. And it is. It is super deep and interesting. So if you want to hear us discuss that, check out the latest episode of Living in the Stacks. And uh, be sure to check out all of Donna's stuff over at the Snarkast. Uh, You've got Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, Once More with Feeling, The Family Business. And if you yourself are a podcaster and you want to join our fledgling little network, send all inquiries to gummycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. You can also find uh, Popcorn Junkie and your various podcast providers. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our Heart Media, Speaker, Stitcher, uh Spotify. So wherever your podcasts are listened to, we'll be there. If we're not, make sure let us make sure to let us know and we'll try to add this uh, you know, we'll try to add the show there. And leave a five star rating review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also find us on social media. Our social media home is Facebook.com slash popcorn junkie uh at uh, Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, uh, Instagram is Popcorn Junkie Podcast, Letterboxd is Corn Junkie Pod, and Stardust, we're caught up through uh, January, and we should be caught up through February by uh, the end of the week, We'll, uh, uh, but stay tuned to that, um, Popcorn Junkie on Stardust, and I think that's all the major social media that you need to know about. But uh, yeah, and if you also want to support the show and help make shows like that Corn Talks po- uh, podcast uh, happen, you can do so by supporting us on Patreon at patreoncom Junkie. Uh, all, all you do is donate as little as a dollar a month. You can have an opinion on what content I can produ- I should produce, and suggests stuff for me to review for the show, uh, stuff for me to do, uh, munch along, make a better movie, and hopefully Corn Talks about uh yeah i would love to expand this podcast further and i can't do that without uh support from listeners like you uh otherwise you can send anything to me any kind of feedback uh your thoughts on the movies i have reviewed um anything like that send that to popcorn junkie podcast at gmail.com if you want me to read it out on the episode i will do just let me know in either the subject line or the message and otherwise i'll just simply paraphrase So, that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, hoping you all enjoyed your happy leap day. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up Nafio.demandart.com for more of his artwork. Pokemon? Yeah! Do you like Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah! Well, what if I told you you could have them both together? That sounds, uh, a little copyright infringement. Don't mention that. I mean, um, yeah. Then check out Dungeons and Dragon Types, the D&D 5th edition actual play podcast, where the players are Pokemon trainers, and all the battles are between Pokemon. There will be evil organizations to fight. Pokemon gyms, contests, all in a whole new fan-made region. Don't miss out on the fun. Listen to Dungeons & Dragon types, available only on Gumby Cat Networks. <laughs>